Have you thought about starting your own podcast? Well, if you have, then you want to download Anchor. It's the easiest way that you can make a podcast. They give you everything you need in one place, and it's absolutely for free. You can use it right from your phone or your computer. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll even distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere, like on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and others. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you were thinking of starting your own podcast, you want to download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Happy Wednesday, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode number 215. So now, for those of you who are paying attention, I did episode 215 a couple days ago, but something happened and I had to take it down. So we're doing episode number 215 again, because I know someone's going to catch that and be like, hey, wait a minute, you already did it. So anyway, this is episode number 215 of Shut Up and Grind with your host, yours truly, Robert B. Foster. And if you're new to the show, first, welcome. And we are all about overcoming obstacles. We're about defying the odds and helping you clear whatever obstacles may be in your path to achieving the things that you want to achieve. I bring guests in from all over the world. I've had guests from 30 plus countries, six different continents, and everybody has the same end goal. People just want to be happy. And so we take, I'm sorry, we take my guest stories of how they overcame whatever was blocking them in their path through what they've accomplished now. People have gone on to become authors, writers, speakers, people have gone into making movies and singing. Like the the amount of industries, it's endless of what, what these people have accomplished. And every single story is unique. Every story is simply amazing. And again, if you're brand new, this is a treat for you. So do, do your best to stick it out to, to the end. I know that everyone's got, got an hour to kill, but even if you go on your, your walk or your run or something, plug these episodes in and you're going to get some solid inspiration with every single episode. So with that being said, if you're joining me on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. If you're joining me on my Facebook pages, please like and share. And if you need to know who I am, this is me. I started doing workshops and doing groups where I'm getting up in front of front of others, like outside of the gym setting and talking about resilience and perseverance and goal setting and vision and taking action. You should know what one hour of your time is worth. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. Starts with clarity of vision. If you don't have the clarity of vision, whatever next thing you get, you're not going to see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision. So the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again. And all that stuff, I was like, you know what? Like, I want to be able to take this even bigger. If you know why you do what you do, you have to know how to charge for what you do. That's how you're going to change your life, and that's how you're going to leave a legacy for your children and your family. You've got to know your work. Before I bring my guest on, you know we have to do the teachable moment of the day. And since we're going to be talking about turning post-traumatic stress into post-traumatic triumph, today's teachable moment is going to be that your story matters. It absolutely matters. So when I survey people about why they don't tell their story, one of the biggest reasons I get is because they don't think their story matters. And it does. Like the 7 billion people on this planet. And we each have a unique view on things. And for a quick example, just take the word vacation. If you can say the word vacation, you ask a thousand people, chances are you're not going to get the same answer every single time. Some people like the ocean. Some people like the mountains. Some people like the desert. Some people like snowy, snowy uh, areas, ski areas. And also the way that you live life and the way you see life, it matters because there's someone out there that's hanging on by a thread in the way that you share your story can literally save this person's life. 
So like your story definitely matters. So if you've been through something, I encourage you to share. And even though most people know I don't meet my guests ahead of time, but just looking into my guest background, she's all about sharing stories as well. And she's made a career in sharing stories and encouraging other people to share their stories. So I wanted to put that as a teachable moment of the day because it's going to flow right into what we're discussing today. So help me bring, help me welcome to the show. Um, I forgot to ask her how to pronounce her name. So we're going to take a stab at it. We're going to say Cafe Rita. How'd I do? Cafe Rita. Yes. Rita, damn it. <laughs> yeah, people usually have trouble with that cafe. Yes. And I didn't start using that pronunciation until probably about 15 years ago myself. Mm. So you did very well. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Yeah, like as I'm sitting there talking, I glanced down, I glanced down at your name box. I was like, crap, I didn't ask how to pronounce it. I don't want to hack it up. <laughs> All right, so where are you joining us from? I'm from Spokane Valley, Washington. Oh, West Coast. Spokane yes. Valley. Are you originally from there? No, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. Nice okay. hot desert. Um, and then when I married, I moved to the Los Angeles area, was there for a long time. And so I've been in the Spokane Valley for two and a half years now. It's new to me and I love it. Even awesome. the cold, the winter wasn't too bad, but you know, I'd never lived in snow before. And, uh, we've actually got the sun coming back out now and getting ready to burst into spring. And I just love the area. Nice. All right. So let's talk about the desert for a second. Because now I've been to, I've been to Arizona once. You know, I stopped off at, at the Hoover Dam. I drove down from Vegas, stopped off at the Hoover Dam. Really nice. Then I drove about two and a half hours and saw absolutely nothing. So <laughs> did you enjoy living in the desert? Um, well, I lived in Phoenix. So that's the big city. I think there's about really two big cities and one medium one in Arizona. Otherwise, it's mostly desert and not, well, I hadn't been heavily populated. I think it's becoming more so now. But, you know, I, I um, probably like most people where I grew up, I just took it for granted, didn't think much about it. You know, the summers were really hot, 110 degree heat. And I didn't even have air conditioning in my car as a teenager. And it didn't bother me because I was just used to it. And then after moving away, you go back and realize it's pretty hot, <laughs> hard to get used to. <laughs> but after going back as an adult, I appreciate it now. It's a beautiful city. The desert's beautiful, and I never saw it that way before. Mm -hmm. um, but especially if you catch it in the springtime after there's been a lot of rain, it's green. And there's okay. these blossoms on the cactus. And it's really a beautiful state, beautiful area. Nice. One one thing I will say, I went to New Mexico. This was in 20, I don't know, 20 something. And I got to say, the desert sunrises and sunsets look incredible. Mm -hmm. that, that, I, that I will say, really, really incredible. Yeah, they do. All right. So, so from Phoenix to Spokane. So what sparked that move? Wow. Um, Starting when I left uh, Los Angeles after my husband died, we'd been together 33 years and uh, we worked together in, in ministry and uh, he died. And so I moved to first to Indiana to okay. a rural area with good friends who kind of took me in as part of the family, um, trying to situate, see what I'm going to do next and was living there for about a year and a half. And then we moved to Idaho, Post Falls, Idaho, real right here on the border with Washington. Right. And I like the area. And then what else? I met a man in Spokane <laughs> Valley. <laughs> and here I am. We've been together two years and it's been yeah. a great experience. Great life. Awesome. All right. So how how long do you think it took you before you, you were ready to, to face life without your husband? You know, it took more than I thought. Um, he had been very ill with strokes and heart attacks the last four years of his life, and I've been caregiver. And so um, it had been a slow transition. So it's kind of prepared for it. And I actually, when he passed away, you know, I was really strong and I felt good. I was, I'm doing okay and ready to move on and thought I'm, I'm just going to be good. I can do well on my own, independent and travel. And um so I was going strong. And then a couple years later, um, I had this 
um, pull on my heart to walk the Camino de Santiago in Spain. That's the way of St. James. It's a 483 mile trail across wow. northern Spain. And I just knew inside I had to walk that. I thought, that's great. This will give me some good undistracted time to plan out what to do with the next 30 years of my life. So I figured I'd been single about 30 years. I was married 33 years. So, okay, my next 30, what will I do? So I went and expected it to be fully a mental activity, good free time to plan. Mm -hmm. And uh, it turned out to be, that's where I broke down and realized I had not processed grief. I had just covered it over and it yes. became a very healing journey, which now I'm learning is so necessary. And we have to break through and, and do that. So say by the end of that journey, so it was probably three years since my husband had passed away that then I knew what to do and I was okay and able to continue on. Yeah, my, my mom is pr pretty much right right there. Like my dad passed in November of 2019. And just just like a couple months ago, she was like, you know what? She's like, I'm, I'm ready. She's like, I'm ready to start making some moves. You know, she wants to downsize the house because they have almost two acres of land. Like she's 70 now. You know, my dad was 79 when he passed. So it's like, you know, when it snows, I'm up here in Rhode Island. So like when it snows, she's got the big old driveway. She's got to push that big uh, snowblower herself <laughs> and all that land just like, mowing the lawn is like a three-hour affair just because they just have so much space and you know and she, she just realized she just doesn't need all of that anymore and she's mm -hmm. she's ready she, she's ready to go through because when he first passed it, like we knew it was coming you know he had a stage four heart failure so you know we we knew it was coming so we we definitely weren't blindsided so that that helps because i've I've uh, I've coached people, you know, I've, I've I've known people who have been on the other side of it, where you just get a phone call, so and so's gone. Like that's that's a completely different thing to process. Then at least you know it's coming. It still sucks, but you can mm -hmm. kind of start mentally making making steps. But like when he first passed, my brother had come up from Florida, and he stayed up here about a month or so. My cousin who had since passed she came up she stayed up here for a while so like my mom always had people around and it really wasn't until everyone kind of left when she, it finally hit her you know yeah. so like I, like i shared that just to highlight what you said that a lot of people cover it up they don't take the time to process it mm -hmm. it takes a while and i think in our country we don't do a good job of helping people in this transition in life. And, and as I was preparing to go walk in Spain, I was reading a lot of books about it and how to prepare. And I read one that talked about making it a rite of passage. But that's mm -hmm. interesting. And I was really considering that and thinking one night, and I realized it's my rite of passage into widowhood. And I had just this sorrow come over me. And that's when I started realizing I didn't just lose David. I lost part of me. There's a hole in me that I haven't filled. I've been really busy and going around doing lots of things, but it wasn't filling me. And I realized I need to grieve that. And in fact, I've always um, kind of disdained formalities and things like, you know, through the years, a custom had been for widows to wear black, I guess, for a year. And I thought, oh, how awful, you know, yeah. I'm so glad we don't have to do that now. Mm -hmm. But that night when I was feeling that grief, I thought, oh, what a gift that would be to be able to veil your face and wear black for a, a period of time. And people know that you've lost someone and you're going through a process and they give you room to mm -hmm. grieve. Um, otherwise, you know, we just put on our face and keep going and people don't know whether to say something or not say something. And it's a really awkward situation. So I think we could do a lot better with helping people go through the grief process. I agree too. And I, I honestly think, you know, this is kind of on the other side of the spectrum. I think a lot of people struggle with the grief process out of fear, you know, out of fear of what other people are going to think. Oh, well, I don't want to cry because I don't want them to think I'm weak or I don't want to, I don't want to talk about this because I might break down and I don't want to be vulnerable. You know, Know what I mean? Exactly. So rather, like I was help, I was working helping someone write a speech, and they had witnessed someone commit suicide, and they've been avoiding talking about it. And now this is you going back a couple of decades ago, and so and I thought I said, look, I said my goal here is, you know, 
not to try to help you unsee it. Like you're never going to unsee that. I said, but we have to shift the power from what you saw to how you share about how you got over it. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's like you have to shift from what happened and you got to put the power into how you moved on. Said so that's what's going to help you really accept what happened. You know, because like there's one thing to process, it's another thing to accept it. Like when I talk about my father, like one of my brothers, he, he took it really, really hard because he was just in a place of not accepting that it happened. Wow. Whereas like from the moment he died, like we, we were there, we, we watched him pass. Mm-hmm. And so it's like we all got to hug him, you know, you know, I kissed him on his forehead, told him I loved him, thanked him. And mm-hmm. it's like, at, like in that moment, I accepted the fact that he was gone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's, it's not like I wasn't in denial. I wasn't trying to say like this can't be true. It's like, nope, he's moved on now. And so now I got to talk, like, how am I going to talk about this process so I can help other people who are grieving? Mm-hmm. So, but, but I was able to get myself there. Like, not everyone can do that. So when, when, you're sh- sh- when you're sharing stories, like, how do you help people navigate that? Yeah, that's, you know, um, I think they have to find that voice and that point within themselves and when they're ready to. But I'm, like, sharing, um, so... When I did the Camino de Santiago, I, then I ended up writing a book about it. And it's just sharing my experience, my story, what happened to me, how I came to understand who I really am and break through those um, that shell I have built around me. And so I really believe that in just someone reading that, they can identify with it. I don't need to preach at them and say, you need to do this, you need to do that. Yeah. But if they're hearing me, I, it's kind of like eavesdropping. <laughs> they can eavesdrop <laughs> on my experience, and then it's non-threatening for them to be able to think, hmm, maybe there's something here for me to consider. Um, oh, that's like me. Maybe I should try that. And I think that kind of that's why stories are so powerful. It frees yes. people without confronting them, but it gives them room to take a breath and really let whatever's in them that's troubling them come up and to begin to deal with it and acknowledge it. So I agree with you. We have to be able to name it. We have to be able to say it and face it and not bury it. Otherwise it's down there working against us all the time. Anyway, it's gnawing at us and holding us back. And I think that had kind of been my life. I had always been someone who was, you know, very good, very nice person. I was very passive. I uh, didn't show a lot of, you know, emotion, didn't get angry with people or anything. And I came to realize actually in these last few years, that's the persona that I put up. And I was really denying uh, who I really am. Probably because as you said, fear, you know, I can't let people know I think this or I do that. And it's so freeing to get past that. And then life really opens up. And you can be to be vulnerable and really be yourself. That's the key right there. To, so you can actually be yourself. You know, it's like too many times we people just as humans in general, especially in the social media age now, people want to put only their best foot forward. You know, like all the happy go lucky pictures. Meanwhile, you and your you and your husband haven't slept in the same bed in six months. <laughs> you know, but, but it's like you're you're displaying that life is just grand. But if you actually talk about the messy parts, you're going to find other people have similar messy parts. Yes. And, and then you guys can talk about how did you get through that? Like I'm helping a guy now who's going through a divorce because like I went through an actual divorce. Like I was married and we, we got divorced and then I was in a 13 year relationship. So like we weren't married but it's still, you know, there were kid, kids involved, you know, so once we split, we went through some stuff. And in me sharing my experiences and opening his eyes up, because, you know, people think in the court system that, like, men just have no rights. Like, that's not true. It's like, that's just what people tell you. <laughs> and you believe it. And I'm like, I'm telling you, if you put your foot down, you have rights. But if I kept all that stuff in he wouldn't even know that that stuff is a possibility. That's true. That's so true. Yeah, that's our stories. We're all connected. I heard someone once say that the more specific a story is, Mm. the more universal it is. And I believe that's true. So I can get specific on details 
and more people can find themselves in it. Mm-hmm. So I like that it's connection, like being able to connect. It's it, it's true because like as human beings, we are so much more alike than the media wants us to think we are. And it do- doesn't matter, white, black, male, female, gay, straight, like it doesn't matter what your religion is. Because like, like I said in my opening, I've had people from 30 plus countries on this on this show and just listening to the stories almost all of them have the same theme like you had some type of some type of dream going up somebody along the way dashed that dream for you whether it was your parents whether it was a teacher or a coach or so, or someone a significant mm-hmm. other but somebody dashed that dream you ended up in a career that was okay but you really weren't happy but you were okay so society tells you you should just be happy with what you have and then you get stuck in that trap mm-hmm. and then somewhere there's a shift and then you realize damn it i want to be happy you start pursuing the things you want to pursue and then people go on like i said earlier to to do whatever it was that they wanted to do when they were younger and like that's pretty much the theme of almost everyone's story from all backgrounds i had people who were born wealthy i had people who were born into the pits of the worst ghetto in the country <laughs> and but the the, the storyline it's still the same you know so when people share those stories you find those similarities yeah and it's interesting um i wonder what is the point that makes them finally have the courage to go ahead and pursue what they truly want and usually yeah. it's some adversity yeah, it's true. Rarely going along content and happy and decide, okay, I'm going to do what I, you know, always dream to do. Something pushes us there. So it's a, it's maybe not a stretch to call it a welcoming thing to have some adversity, something happen. If we can look at it and then say, okay, yes. what is this telling me? And what can I do to, to bounce off of this into what I truly want, who I truly am? So, so what was that thing for you? Um, you know, that was um, my husband passing away. Well, and actually two things happened. And then the next year after that, there is a ministry group we have been a part of and I had worked with for 45 years. And I left that group. I realized I believe they had gone off some direction <laughs> that mm-hmm. I didn't agree with and I couldn't be a part of it anymore. Yeah. So then here I was alone without my husband and without that community I had bonded with. Um, but there was a number of us left at that time. So that was kind of traumatic. And then i that's when I had this knowing in my heart, I have to go to Spain and walk on this trail. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, I thought it would be a mental activity. But here's how it started. So the first night, I was in an old Gothic church, a 13th century church sitting on a wooden bench. Uh, the lights were low and there's soft music playing and people coming in and out. And I sat there and... I started to cry. I didn't know why. And then I heard the word absolution. Hmm. I thought, eh, that's not for me. I'm not here for absolution. Though traditionally a pilgrimage on this trail for centuries had been, um, the Catholic church had said, if you go on this and do certain tasks and you get to the end to the town of Santiago, you'll be forgiven your sins. Thought, eh, that's not why I'm here. That's not my purpose. Yeah. Then I heard that voice say, yes, it is. You need absolution to yourself from yourself. Whoa. And that kind of set the stage the next 37 days. Um, the very next day I was checking in at the hostel where I'd be staying. I started to tell the host that I was walking to Santiago because my husband had died. I got as far as saying my husband and I began sobbing. It came out of nowhere. I didn't know that was in me. And that's wow. when I started to realize, oh, I haven't gone through the grief process. I've carried this with me. So it started that. It was a lot of healing Uh, along the way. I also um, came where I knew I had to forgive David for dying and leaving me. I I mean, you know, it's not like he did it on purpose, but still, I didn't know I carried that in my heart. And when I did that, just something lifted. And so that, you know, I was on that trail 37 days. And the first probably two and a half to three weeks, I was doing a lot of crying and add to that the physical (laughs) part of my legs hurting. It's a lot of hills. It's up and down Mm. and uh, that walking and just tired and the blisters on the feet and everything going on. And then I'm having this emotional upheaval and I kept thinking, this is ridiculous. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go to a hotel and sit by the pool and figure out what to do with my <laughs> And uh, but that's where I kept thinking. Well, I, I knew I had to do it, and I think that was real key. Having that knowing in my heart, for some reason, I have to walk this. And so as I kept going, what it did was break down that that denial and that false self I built over myself. And I've come to realize I think. The physical pain did that so my soul could seep up to the top and I could begin to deal with it and realize I've covered a lot of things that maybe I didn't agree with, but I just go along and be passive and not doing, not being who I really am. So it's a breaking that open. And so that was kind of the trauma going in, which I didn't even know I had. I thought it was good and strong, but it broke that open and I came out stronger. And I will say one of the key points in the turnaround was about three weeks in, I got bed bugs. Oh, no. I couldn't believe it. And uh, now I look back at it and realize, of course, I got bed bugs. I was so afraid of that. So I've mm. heard about that. And so that was so much on my mind. It's like a beacon going on and just drawing them to me. So sure yeah. enough. Law of attraction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was at work strongly. And uh, so I was probably at my lowest point and I was just laying in um, my bunk bed and another traveler came in uh, and he put his bedroll on the bed above mine and asked, how's your day going? And I said, it's not going good. I've, I've got bed bugs and I just want to go home. And I started crying. Mm -hmm. He so kindly reached his hand down and said, may I hold your hand? I said, yeah. And he sat on the floor beside my bed, cross-legged, and just started to console me. So oh, bed bugs, that's part of the journey. That's life, ups and downs. And I don't know what he said, but, you know, it calmed me. And then later we went to walk around this town. I learned his name was Patrick, and he was a mechanical engineer from the UK. And that impressed me because he talked like a therapist or a counselor and was very, um, just very easy to talk with. And as so we were walking around and... Um, looking at this, and it's a beautiful area. We were looking at this old Roman bridge, and he was telling me about the construction of it and some of its history. And then he turned to me and said, you know, you're on this Camino to learn to fall in love with yourself again. Yes. And that hit me. I knew that's exactly what it was. It was nothing to do with planning out my life. It was to find me, which I did, and I got to know me again and actually got to like myself and to love myself. So it was a, a great experience, but it was through a little bit of pain and trauma getting to that. And I'm glad you I'm glad you said that because you know as humans we're programmed to avoid pain. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it's in our DNA. It's like that's why so many people are afraid to take risks because there's the threat of pain is there. Yes. So we we stay in our safe place. So what I do with my fitness clients, and I kind I kind of stumbled upon this. So ha have you heard of the Tough Mudder race? No, I haven't. Okay, so it's a 10 to 12 mile just obstacle course. There's hills, there's mud, and depending on what region it's in, it can be super cold, it can be super hot, it just depends where it is. And so I brought, I think at the time this was eight of my clients, this was in 2012, and we went to do this, this event. And mm -hmm. I didn't know much about it because the obstacle races, they were kind of new on the scene at that, that point. I had done a couple local ones, but I've never done a 10-mile one. So it was up in New Hampshire, but it was in the summer. So, like, New, New Hampshire gets hot in the summer. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, especially in the middle of New Hampshire. It was, like, in the 90s, I want to say. We were ill-prepared, and, like, we didn't eat properly. And mm -hmm. I, I was just scratching the surface in the gym world. Like, I was always an athlete, but... I was just learning how to actually train people. And so we were undertrained, we were malnourished, and it was hot as hell outside. Right? And so this Perfect. race, oh, this race killed us. It absolutely killed us. And even me as the leader, because on the last mile, they have you at the bottom of the mountain, you're thinking you're all done, and then they sent you all the way back up to the top again so now we were tired we were we were hurting we were dehydrated like it, it was such a miserable miserable experience and at that moment i almost lost it like i started yelling i was swearing and then one of the guys is like rob you're the leader he's like if we lose you <laughs> if we lose you what are we gonna do and so i was able to, to regroup i got through it and 
I hated it. I hated every inch of it until everything started to level out again. And then I went into planning mode. I was like, that was a test. I was like, and we failed. It was like, we failed. I said, so I need to plan better. I said, I, I need to become a better leader so I can better lead you guys through something like this. But what I found out is similar to what you shared. Everyone changed from going mm -hmm. through that experience because we, we could have quit ages ago. I mean, it took us six hours to get through this. Yeah. And there were so many points in there where we're like, F this. <laughs> like, why are we here? This is stupid. Like, we need food. We need water. Like, we need shade. But going through that experience, A, it's like, we didn't die. <laughs> like, so, so that's a bonus. So we went through hell and we're still here. But yeah. now, now how can we do this better? That's a wonderful feeling. That is so good. That's probably where you got the shut up and grind. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. My, mine was a, a softer version of that. That's what I mm -hmm. called the book. Keep walking. Your heart will catch up. Mm. There was another day where it was hot, really hot. I was sweating. I think I was um, dehydrated. And I'm walking on this dirt trail to the next town. And I just, and that's where I realized I don't have any control. I'm just walking, I'm putting one step in front of the other, and this is really hard. And that's where I kept thinking, just keep on a step in front of the other. Your heart will catch up. It'll be okay. Yes. And got to it. And when I got to the next place, I went to, into the hostel, and they had me sit down and got me a glass of water. And they could see I was in probably pretty dehydrated and bad shape. And mm. then they took me to my room on the first floor, and the woman told me, I'm going to give you a room here. I don't think you can make it up to the second floor. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so it, it was fun, wow. but that's it. You just keep going. You know, if you know you're doing what you, you need to do, and I think it all starts with having that, knowing yourself and uh, hearing that voice, your spirit within guiding you, then you know there's a way to do it. And you don't have to be in control. You don't have to know what's yes. going to happen. You just keep taking a step, keep moving forward, and, and you'll learn what you need to learn out of it and grow from it. Yeah, see, and you said it there, one step at a time. In anything, people are always looking too far ahead. And I'm guilty of that that myself. Like, I buy an eight-week program, and I'm already looking at week three instead of just looking at week one. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, no, 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 just start, start here, baby steps, and then you'll get there. So I've done over 160 of these races now since that first one has killed me but like i use them i use them for teachable moments with my clients because mm -hmm. you know there, there are people like when people join a gym like mine it's not because they're feeling confident and they're in love with themselves you know so like, typically i'm getting people with low self-esteem low self-confidence yeah. you know think that they're either too old to be doing stuff like this or you know just whatever limiting beliefs they're putting on themselves and so i use these events to show them you're a freaking warrior <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. you can, mm -hmm. you can do this. And so, but it took me going through the fire first, you know, and realizing mm -hmm. like, oh my God, this is hell. But then I was able to grow and now I can better prepare my crew to go through these. Like we have one coming up at the end of April down in New Jersey in the mountains. And it's, it, it's tough. But one thing I tell them guys, yes, it's going to be about 13 and a half miles, but we take it mile to mile, mm -hmm. right? If you take whatever the journey is and you just dice it up into to little li little groups, even when we're going up the mountain, I tell them, count to 50, take a couple of deep breaths. Count to 50, take a couple of deep breaths. You do that a few times, you'll be at the summit. You know wow. what I said? But, but like, if you're, if you're going every step thinking, God, this sucks, God, this sucks, and <laughs> then you're not going to be in the right headspace. It's like, all right, I got 50 steps in me. Okay, breathe. I got 50 more. Breathe. All right, we're at mile two. Let's get to mile three. We're at three. Let's get to four. Like, don't worry about 13. We're worried about four. You know, you get to four, you high five. All right, now let's get to five. And then every, everyone finishes the race and they're like, Oh my God, like I, I never thought I'd be able to do that. It's like yeah. you are now forever changed because you just took a whole bunch of limiting beliefs and you just crushed them all. Yeah, gosh, you make me wish I lived out uh, in your area, <laughs> join your gym. <laughs> I, I kind of th I think I would like an experience like that, but it scares me too. And they, actually, they have I, them in Seattle. 
Do they? Well, I'm yeah. over far, far away in Spokane. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, but I did join the Y um, last year. So I've been sedentary all my life. I've worked in offices. Uh, I worked with adult literacy programs and, you know, training volunteer tutors to help adults learn to read better. And so it's all very sedentary. So having a physical activity was new for me. And so I yes. again doing that trail. It's 483 miles. I actually walked 251 miles of it. Wow. But it does give that feeling like, hey, I did it. That's pretty amazing. And um, that boosted awesome. confidence to do something that wouldn't seem like you could do it. So I totally exactly. get it. So maybe someday I'll work out to that. Love uh, it. 10 mile run. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's relevant in every facet of life. There's people who've worked a nine to five their entire life thinking, I can't be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, I can't, I can't write a book. Like who's going to read my book? It's like, that is like limiting beliefs. And like, you'll be surprised. You go to a bookstore, there's thousands of books, thousands. Like, what does that tell you? Because like, even though there's thousands of books, there's billions of people. <laughs> you know, it's like, you don't, you don't need everyone in the world to read your book. You know what I mean? You just need a handful, a handful of people that follow you. And you got it. It's like, like I, I don't train everyone in Rhode Island, <laughs> but I have a handful of people who believe in my style. It's like, that's all it takes. It's like, you don't have to be a billionaire to be successful. Right, but you need the courage to do it. And that's what I found on the Camino. Like I said, I didn't figure out what to do with the rest of my life. I found out I already knew and known for years, but I didn't have the courage. Since I was little, I thought, I'm a writer. I want to be a writer. Mm. But I'd never pursued that as a, you know, as an endeavor like I am now. I'm a writer and a speaker. And it's only probably within the last year I could say those words without being embarrassed or thinking I'm (laughs) an imposter. So I've grown into it. But that's what I got out of finding courage to go ahead. You know, gosh, I'm I'm in my 60s now. It's time. (laughs) Plenty of time to start being what it is I've always desired. Yeah, see, and people have to understand what the word courage means because people look at the courageous acts. But, but if you actually look at what courage means, it's being scared out of your mind, but still doing it. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? So it's like yes. people, people don't like, it's like you don't get courage from confidence. You get courage from fear, <laughs> you know, right? You get it from fear. It's like, com- com- <clears throat> excuse me, confidence comes from repeatedly facing the fear, gaining courage, and then it becomes confidence. But you, when people start, they're scared out of their minds. So it's like, all right, so I write this book and I put my stories out there and then I get it published and then I have to put it on shelves and then brace to see if it sells. Yeah. Like, that's what they're afraid of. Well, even more so, do the work to see that it sells. Yes. Yeah. They can sit on the shelf and no one ever find it. And I find that's like a real loss to yeah. pour these lis- lessons and these experiences into a work to share with others so that they can benefit from it also, but then not to do anything so that they can find it. Yeah, um, true. And that's another thing I like to say, well, I'm just a writer. I want to sit at my desk and write. But no, that goes along with speaking, too, and vocally, orally yeah. sharing what I have to say in these messages. Yes. Yeah. But it's exciting. Once I once I got going, I'm really excited about it. Yes. I, when, once you got going, your confidence grew. Yes. You know, then people start buying your book and it's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like I can do this. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do have something to say, and it resonates with um, people. I loved getting the feedback. One woman wrote that uh, she had been widowed about three years, and she was so encouraged after reading my book. She decided she's going to start doing what she wants and not what everyone's telling her to do. Yes. <laughs> I love, I love it. it. That's I love that's it. what I like to hear. I love it. I, I say on this show, I mean, there's been 215 episodes. I've probably said 200 of them. Don't let people clip your wings. Like, mm-hmm. just, just don't do it. Cause it happened to me ages ago. I got an opportunity. Like I was managing restaurants. And so what, one of the guys I used to work with, he had left to go manage a golf club and like a, go, a, a country club. Mm-hmm. And so he was working nine months out of the year. Take, I think it was December, January, and February off. And then you work the other nine months. Base salary was like 85000 plus other incentives and stuff. Now, going back 25 years ago, you know, 85000 went pretty far. Mm-hmm. And so 
I wanted to do it. My now ex didn't want to move back to Connecticut. And I was like, but this is a hell of an opportunity, you know, a hell of an opportunity. Cause he, he decided he, he was going to open a second one and he wanted me to run the second one. Oh yeah. I mean, golden opportunity. I was in my twenties. You know what I mean? Like it was a solid, solid opportunity, but I let her talk me out of it. Mm. And, yeah. and I was like, there, there, there was just always that. What if, like, what if, Cause like he he ended up going on to do really great things with these country clubs, and it's like here I am still stuck in corporate <laughs> because I let somebody else get into my head and do that. So, so now I stress to people like if you have an idea that you believe in, screw what everybody else says. <laughs> it's like you do what you got to do to follow that passion. Go for it. At least then you won't <clears throat> excuse me have any regrets because exactly. people tend to have regrets over what they didn't do, rarely mm -hmm. over something that they did. And yeah. so, and that's kind of how I approach some things now about some big project or some invitation to do something. And I think, no, nah, I don't know. And I thought, well, okay, in five years, if I look back and if I didn't do it, will I have regret? Yeah. Okay. Well, then I better do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to live life with no regrets. And that's bold. Take some boldness. It's, it's, it's definite. It's definite boldness. But there was actually a study. I think this was like 15 years ago or so where I don't remember the group that did the study, but they studied, I believe it was 80, like 80 to 100 people who were diagnosed with terminal illnesses. And their number one regret was not pursuing their passion. Oh, it was their wow. number one, you know? I so can well imagine. that's a big thing. It really is yeah. a big thing. So man, the sooner you can start doing that and um, moving yourself in that direction, the better off, the happier you're gonna be in your life. We all have a purpose. We're here for a purpose and we know what it is mm -hmm. inside, but often we've just covered it over. It starts whispering to us and we turn the TV up louder or we go <laughs> and look for something to do so we don't have to think about it. But I, it's wonderful to have that time to sit, meditate, yeah. or just be alone and be still and really get in touch with what, what your spirit's mm -hmm. calling you to. Yeah, like the, the last guest I had on, he was a, a, a former professional wrestler, but he was he was like big, big time, like WWF style. Mm -hmm. And growing up, my friends and I had made a makeshift wrestling ring in my backyard and we would go out there and we'd beat the crap out of each other. Like it was just, <laughs> just you know, what teenage boys do. Uh -huh. But but like I always, I always had that thought, like I would love to try that just, just once, you know, because like, hey, it, it looks brutal, but it looks fun. Looks really fun. It's like, you know, you get it, the outcomes are scripted, but you still have to be fit. You still have to have, you know, you got to be strong and, and you have to be a, be a performer. So I was like, it just appealed to me. And so at the ripe old age of 38, I see an ad on Craigslist. They were looking for, it was a, a, a local place here. And mm -hmm. they were looking for a referee. I was like, maybe that would be fun. You know, something cool to do on the weekends. So I, so I, so I go down, you know, and um, I start working as a referee, but I'm watching everyone wrestle. And it's like that little kid in me stirred up again. And it's like, I want to try it, but it's like, am I too old now? <laughs> you know? so, so I was like, so I went to the promoter. I was like, you know what? I said, I, I think I want to perform. He's like, do you realize? Yeah. I said, I'll, I'll invest in the training. I said, I think I, I said, I don't want to do this for like 10 years or nothing. I said, but mm -hmm. I want to get in the ring and perform. And I did it. I wrestled, I think maybe, wow. maybe 10 times. And I did well enough because, because uh, there is performance based. So I did well enough to where I got to hold one of the smaller titles in the uh, division, <laughs> which, which is an honor because some people, they were wrestling for years and they were pissed, but I picked it up fast. And with my personality, because again, you are a performer. So like mm -hmm. you have to get reactions out of the crowd. But it's like, but I was able to do it. And I was watching a video of one of my matches the other day. And I was like, that was so cool. And it's like, <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad I did it. You know, like it's something yeah. minor, like in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't change the world or nothing, but it was something that I wanted to do. Yeah, I'd say it changed you. That's priceless to yes. not have that regret. Here's something you wanted to try. That's that's yeah. pretty brave too. <laughs> yes, especially especially at 38. You know? <laughs> so I was like, you're, you know, I'm a dad now. So I was like, you know, what if I uh, land wrong on my neck or something? It's like, because it's brutal. Like I said, pe people will say it's fake. It's brutal. 
Like when you hit that mat, you hit it. When people are like hitting you, like they're hitting you. It's <laughs> like, oh like it's it's tough, but it was fun though. I gotta say, but but what I want to get through to people is is stop it with the I'm too old stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, to just just stop. You know, like every I still compete in track and field, and there was a guy out there because I just competed a couple weeks ago. There's a guy out there, 85 years old, a woman who is 82. There's this guy high jumping. He was 70 something. You know, it's like it's like they're out there. And I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. It's like just stop, like just stop being. I mean, don't stop being you. Like if you're a competitor, compete. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a singer, keep singing. It's like don't let people tell you you're too old to do the stuff that you love. It's your life. Yeah, it's finding your passion, and it's that passion that keeps you moving and alive and um, able to do so much. Yeah, I yes. I got several role models now I've looked at in the world who are older and just doing so well and okay I can do that yes I'm on board (laughs) for that because I have something I want to keep living for that's what you have to find what are you what are you doing what do you like to do see and in doing what we do we're leaving stuff behind too you know so (laughs) once so once we're gone like these videos will still be here your books will still be here you know uh, videos of, of your speeches are still going to be out there. So even once we're gone, we're still going to be able to inspire people. Mm, that legacy. Yeah. I was so probably three, four years ago, I was listening to a podcast in the middle of the night. And I remember they were asking, what do you want your legacy to be? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I went to sleep and then I woke up and then I had this line. I want my legacy to be that she encouraged people to reach beyond what they thought was possible. And I wrote that down and actually that was probably two or years after that, I actually made my website and that's the tagline on it, reach beyond what you ever thought possible. Mm. And that's my wish for people. I love it. And mine is right there. Your true power lies in your story. Ah, That's that's what I want people to understand. And it's like, I'm part of a like different mastermind groups and stuff. And mm-hmm. people, 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 and I'm talking like other entrepreneurs, people who have, who have written books, who have, you know, online courses and stuff. And they, they get up to, to talk about their bio. And it's like, this isn't your resume. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like you've written a book about whatever the topic is. Yeah. What inspired that? <laughs> you know, it's like that part has to be in your story. That's it's like, it. okay, you wrote a book, so did you and a thousand other people. But why you wrote your book is unique to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that's the power in the story. You know, so with yeah. that, when you wrote your first one, what was your goal? Um, Actually, well, actually this one, Keep Walking, is my second book. The first one I'd written um, like these encouraging messages, prophecies like from the Lord to different women who were struggling. And then I just realized, oh, those words are good for every woman. And so I put them together in a book. I never promoted it or anything because I didn't have the, I guess, the, the boldness to do it at that time. But when I finished walking this Camino and all I learned in the transformation that took place in me, I knew, okay, this is a story. And I want to write the book and I think it would help others. And plus it's just, I write, that's what I do. And I kind of had to write it and get it down. And I kept learning and growing as I was writing it. And so that's, I guess why I wrote it to hope to encourage others. And it's really not so much about that physical journey, but the inward, the spiritual thing. And I would hope that others would find it. And I'm working on another one now. I hope I'll have it done by the end of the year. And these are um, conversations with God. I don't know exactly what the title will be yet, but you know, that spirit, that voice in me, I talk with a lot. We have these conversations. And again, I think they can apply to other people. Like one of them that uh, sticks with me the most, one day I heard the Lord say to me, just always assume that everybody loves Cathay. Well, that's pretty arrogant. I can't do that. We go back and forth. And then I said, okay, I'll try it out. And that next week I was going to be going to a conference where a friend and I were looking at maybe starting a business and creating organic soaps and lotions. Mm. So we went to a conference. I thought, okay, I'll try it out here. 
because normally I would approach new people like worried. Are they going to like me? Will I fit in? What do I say? How do just really insecure. So I'm going to go in like they love me. The first morning I went to a breakfast table and sat down with this uh, number of people and I had that attitude and had the most wonderful time learning about them and how they got into it and their stories. And that's when I realized, okay, if you approach life with the attitude that everyone already loves you, then that takes the, the worry off. You don't have to be creating your story or, you know, you can be relaxed and that gives your energy to look at them. What about them and to learn about them? And so it was a good lesson. Yes. It really got punctuated at lunchtime. I was with another table and they told us, okay, talk with each other about your business. I'm like, I hadn't started my business yet. I got real insecure. I don't know what I'll say. And that was the most miserable luncheon. I sat there. The one woman on my right side just rudely ignored me. <laughs> I didn't know what was wrong. I couldn't get in a conversation or on the other side. I was totally out of place. Then it hit me. I went in scared and nervous about what they would think of me or what I could say. Yes. And that vibe went out and I never found my place there. So I think that's lessons like that, which I heard and then tried out. Just mm -hmm. go in, just, you know, true or not, believe everyone loves you. <laughs> you start from there, you're going to do better. See, and this is one thing I say a lot, but I mean, I have no shortage of confidence. But <laughs> one thing I say a lot is, People always say, be humble, be humble, be humble, be humble. Mm -hmm. When it comes down to it, nobody wants to work with the humble person, right? If you're looking for a plumber, don't you want the best plumber in the area? If you're looking for someone to paint your house, you don't want the guy that's okay or the girl that's okay. You want, the, you want someone who's the best. When people come into my gym, I don't say, well, you know, I'm an okay trainer. You know, maybe I can, maybe I can help you reach your goal. Like, no, I've trained thousands of people who have lost tens of thousands of pounds. My system works. It's tried. It's true. You dial it in. You show up for me. I will show up for you. You will reach your goal. Mm, like that's, what that's, that's the person that people want to gravitate to. So, and, and it's not me saying, oh, well, I'm the best and I'm the smartest and I'm the this and I'm the that, but I believe in what I do and I believe in it strongly. And mm -hmm. I have no problem speaking about it. And when, when you're in a group like that, and it's funny because, you know, people stereotype left and right based on looks. Mm -hmm. So now I'm a gym owner. This is what I wear. I wear a tank top. I wear, I wear sweatpants that have my logo on it. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. So I went to a networking event. I walk in. So I was one of two people of color, and I was the only one dressed like this. <laughs> so, so you walk in, everybody else three-piece suits on, and, and they're all, you know, so you could cut the judgment with a, with, with a knife when I walked into this room. And so at the end of that meeting, everybody flocked to me at the end. You know, how do I get in touch with you? Are you available to speak to this group? Can I have your business card? You know, have you contact? I said, yeah, but when I first walked in, I saw yeah. up and down looks. Like, I saw all of that. But when I show up, I show up powerfully. And one of my mentors always says, be so good, they can't ignore you. Wow, that's powerful. I, I can imagine that. And I think what also propels you, makes you, uh, people attract to you, it's because it's authentic. It's coming from the middle of you and you know it. It's not something you're trying to be and trying to put on and trying to act like you perceive you should act like. It's it's you. You've yes. developed it. You've put that together through, you know, your pains and struggles in life. So it's real yes. authentic and, and you are you. Yes. And, and that goes back to why your story is important. Because like when people ask me, like, why are you the way you are? I was like, I had a horrific knee injury where the doctor told me I'd never run or jump again. Wow. It's like, like what, what that would do to someone else, <laughs> you know, it's like, I was strong enough to say challenge accepted, you know, <laughs> but, but not everyone is, you know? So the way I show up, I let people know is because I am who I am. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm not who you want me to be. You know, it's like, and I'm not everyone's cup of tea. I, I, I get that. You know, there are some people where shut up and grind is a little too intense for them, you know, and yeah. which, is, which is cool. Going back to what I said earlier, it's not my goal to serve all 7 billion people on the planet, but there's that group that need it the way I deliver it. There's mm -hmm. people who need it the way you deliver it. 
You know, that's just how, how it is. Like some people could hear you and be like, you know what? I kind of like his vibe and vice versa. They can hear me. Mm -hmm. All right. He's saying some good stuff, but he's a little bit of intense. He's a little intense. I like her vibe. Yeah. You know, and by, by sharing your story, you're going to attract the people who need your vibe. Mm -hmm. And those that don't need it, you know, they'll be attracted elsewhere. Exactly. And so I just hope they'll find it wherever they can find it too. Uh-huh. Yeah, so doubling down on what you were saying too about the imposter syndrome is too too many times we worry about the ones that don't re resonate with us. It's like that's something I had to learn. I'm a Leo. I like to be liked. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. I like to be liked. You know, so uh -huh. so when I find people don't didn't want to work with me, be like, oh my god, why? What, what what did I do? You know. But then once I well, this is once I finally got a business coach where he was just like, you're not here to work with everyone. He's mm -hmm. like, you're not. They're pouring to the ones who are showing up for you. And then they're going to refer people that are like them who will be and more likely to like you. <laughs> I was That's like, powerful. That's good. Like, That's ah. a lesson I need to really get a hold of and hold on to. That's really yes. Really yeah, like that one, that one pierced my soul because I was like, at the time, I was like, I, I hate rejection. I mean, I hate it now, mm -hmm. but 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 now I've learned to not take it so personal where, you know, where it's like, well, what did I do wrong? It's like, yeah, it could just be, Rob, you're kind, you're kind of intense. Like, not everyone likes that. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, like, I just had, I just had to realize, like, you know what, you're just not everyone's cup of tea. And that's good. And that's yeah, okay. yeah. I'm gonna take that as a lesson to grab hold of more. Yeah, I still struggle with that a little bit. So I hear you. Awesome. Yeah. So what's next for you? Um, what's next? I yeah, looking at um getting this next book out and and actually, you know what's next? Here's what I'm believing for my, my book, keep walking, your heart will catch up. Mm. I'd like to see that made into a movie. Big motion oh, nice. picture. I think it's suited well. So you got any producers out there? <laughs> yeah, I can, I can connect you with some. Yeah, I, I interviewed a few a few producers. I mean, I, I can't guarantee anything, but yeah. I can make the connection and see where it goes. Yeah, if I'm putting that out into the universe, um, I would like to, I think it'd be fun and I think it would suit well. So I'm looking at that and then getting this next book out and into the hands of readers and seeing what's next. I also work in the field of adult literacy. I'm still a consultant and there's so much there and some great stories. I'd love to write about that and uh, highlight that field a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I've got lots of ideas. <laughs> I need a little bit more time or I have to pace myself and stretching them out there. But in the meantime, I do have my website. Thank you for putting it on screen. And I do a weekly blog. So words of encouragement, uh, I invite anyone to check in and subscribe to it. It's just a brief, you know, a few paragraphs each week, um, whatever's going on in my head or I'm experiencing at the time or uh, something to encourage you with, uh, look for ways to be uplifting. So invite people to follow there. That would be terrific. Awesome. Love it. And so for those watching on the audio or on the replay, the, the links will also be in the description section for her website and for the book as well. So I'm going to give my final thoughts and then you can give, I'm going to give you the floor for some final words. You dodged the best friend question. So you, you lucked out there. <laughs> and um, yeah, so for, for me, just going back to the teachable moment is that the story matters. You know, the story absolutely matters. And with you discussing your journey from losing your husband to going on that trek, that journey of self-discovery, and that's pretty much what it was. It's like a journey of self-discovery. Mm -hmm. And as I take my clients through these obstacle races, I always tell them, like, when you first start, you're going to be all hyped up because, you know, I'm going to make sure that you're carb loaded and that your electrolytes are balanced and that you're hydrated and you're going to feel great. Right around mile eight, stuff stuff's gonna start hitting the fan. I said, but it's in that moment, from that moment to the finish line, which you're gonna learn about yourself. You know, I said, wow. and what and what you learn about yourself, that's the story that you use moving forward to motivate yourself. You know, because because it's anybody can perform when they're feeling great. Anybody can, but when you're in hell, when your feet hurt. When you got, got the blister popping out, like you mentioned earlier, if your muscles are cramping, you're getting cramps in your belly, 
And it's in those moments when you keep pushing forward and you keep grinding, like you're not going to let anything stop you from getting to that finish line. That is the moment where you define who you truly are. Wow. Wow. Yeah, you really said it. That's such a pattern. I can see that follows all through life. And uh, yeah, I would echo the same thing. And you know, one other thought I had about, so I started calling, came to call my hike across that trail a pilgrimage. At first, I didn't think it was a pilgrimage, but I looked at the definition and a pilgrimage, it's a journey or travel to a holy place or for a holy purpose. Mm. And then I looked up what the word holy means. It comes from an old English word, halig, which means to bring wholeness or health. Mm. And I thought, that's it perfectly. It's bringing wholeness. So that pilgrimage. So for me, I had the benefit of taking 37 days to walk that. But other people say, well, you know, I can't. I can't leave my job and my life and go off to Spain and do that. Mm -hmm. So, but I would encourage them to find a pilgrimage where they are and however they can do it, at least take some time to go out and sit by yourself in nature um, and get in touch with yourself. And then I think if you ask your spirit, will show you some ways to challenge yourself to do the mm -hmm. things that you're talking about, Rob, uh, and do something where you can, Glide through and get to that mile eight where you start to struggle and you can pull on through. I think there are things we can experience that right where we are in our homes. If we'll give time to it and let our mind really focus on it and not deny it, not try to hide from it. I think it's a real powerful thing. And so everyone can have those breakthroughs right where you are. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, and I'll leave on this thought. So going back to how I started this talking about the tough mutteries. So they have, their MC. So every every wave of people that goes out, this guy Sean Carvel Corbel, he he does a motivational speech. Hmm. But there's one line that he says that gets me every time. He says, "When's the last time you did something for the first time?" Hmm. And I love that. I absolutely love that. So each year I try to find something that I've never done before. So like in 2020, I went parasailing. You know, and that that was pretty cool. You know, gotta say, being that high up in the air, it's it's a little suspect. You know, but, but it's like I'm not afraid of heights, but that was high. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. you know, but just just do, doing that, like going kayaking with the kids. I'm gonna try white water rafting this year, and just just to try something new, exciting, refreshing. You know, it just, it, it keeps you it keeps you feeling young. It keeps you just energized with life. Because okay. again, too many people they play the I'm too old card or they're worried about what other people are gonna think. I remember my, my dad went white water rafting at 75. Oh, and, I love it. <laughs> and there was a picture, there was this big rock, and some of them they would jump in off of this rock into the water. And I see this video of my dad, I'm like, he's got two bum knees. I was like, what is he doing up there? But he did it. He did it, Get it right off into the water. I was like, I freaking love that man. Wow. Well, you had a good example, a good role model. Oh, yeah. That's powerful. Oh, I like it. Yeah, he, he is actually where Shut Up and Grind was born. Because just watching him, he was an engineer. So, like, just he was constantly in the yard building stuff. And, you know, he'd hit a roadblock. And he, and he, would, he just found ways around everything. Like, whatever he wanted, he got it. Wow. Like, that's just... I, and I'll just leave, leave it at this quick story because this just ties into what, what we're talking about. So he and, my, he and my mom, they bought a new dining room table and they bought a new refrigerator. So they get it there. They get it in the house. So lo and behold, where the table is, the door to the outside can't open now because it hits the table. Mm -hmm. So now normal people would either get a smaller table or a smaller fridge. One of the two, because <laughs> just the two where they were, the door could not open. Oh, no, not Richard B. Foster Sr. <laughs> right? So yeah. I remember I, I'm driving down because like they their, their house is like maybe 35 minutes from where I live. And so I drive down to go visit. As I'm pulling up into the driveway, I see the side of the house is ripped down. This dude reversed the window and the door. Because he wanted that table and that fridge. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, so normal people would have just got a smaller table. Now, mm -hmm. he rebuilt that whole side of the house 
So the door opened over here instead of over here. <laughs> you really like that refrigerator and table. <laughs> Told you, he, he was the epitome of shut up and grind. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> All right, Kathy, thank you very much for joining. This was thank a lot you, of fun. Yes, yeah, so with yeah, a lot of I fun. So um, I think I want to invite you for one of my panels because I'm actually going to do one coming up soon on moving on after losing a loved one. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I've had quite a few guests on that have that story. So you usually get five to six people plus plus myself, and we just have a roundtable discussion. So if you're interested. Oh, I'd love to. Love to. Love talking with that. you. Love your energy. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, and then I'm also going to connect you with some of my other podcast friends. So uh, you can keep sh sharing your story and spreading the word. And uh, love what you're doing. Keep it going. Thank you. Thank you. All right. My pleasure. Have a great day. All right. Bye now. Bye. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com. Till next time, shut up and grind.